It's a beautiful day to be able to celebrate the risen Savior this morning. For the Christian, it's a day of incredible celebration. Uh, It's a day of victory. By Jesus' resurrection, he demonstrated his death upon the cross was sufficient. It was the Father saying amen to what Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It validates everything that he said, everything that he taught, validated everything that he did. It, it demonstrated and validated that he is the promised Messiah and the divine Son of God. It demonstrated that he has authority over death, something that we are very interested in because death is a very real enemy to all of us. He has authority over death, he has authority over hell, over the grave, and he has the power to raise our bodies to life. And the resurrection speaks to all of that. That's just scratching the surface in terms of what the resurrection actually proclaims. Usually when we think about Jesus' resurrection, we think about what God has in store for us related to our futures because of the fact of the resurrection. But I don't want to talk about that this morning. I don't want to talk about how it affects our futures. It it does affect our futures in a huge way, as I've mentioned already. But I want to talk about how it affects our lives now. How it makes a difference now. How does Jesus' resurrection affect our lives right now? That's where my heart is drawn for this morning. In John chapter 11, in verse 1, we're told, A certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. He was from that town. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet uh, with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now there's these three siblings here, uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And the Lord Jesus was very close to this family. He stayed at their house many, many times. They took care of his, his physical needs. And we're told in verse 1 that Lazarus had become sick, and so they sent for the Lord. He wasn't with them at the time. So they sent word to get to the Lord Jesus to say to him this, He whom you love is sick. He did love them. And we're told that. He loved them more than they knew. In verse 3, there it says towards the end of verse 3, whom you love is sick. And that word love is phileo. It's the kind of brotherly love. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a term that has to do with how we love our siblings and those that are close to us and so forth. It's, it's a great love. You know, we're told elsewhere, Jesus said, the father loves the son. And he used the word phileo. So it's not a bad love at all. It's a great love. Uh, there, and, but we're told in verse 5 that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And he uses a different word for love there. He uses the word agape. And that's an unconditional love. That's a sacrificial love there. So Jesus loved them more than they knew, which is really the truth for all of us, isn't it? That God loves us more than we can comprehend. And so here they were sending word to Jesus to try to help uh, their probably little brother, Lazarus. I mean, he doesn't, you never hear Lazarus say anything. That's usually a sign that you're a little brother. You never get a chance to say anything. All your older siblings are always talking for you. You know, we don't know if he was a little brother. He probably was. But he was very, very sick. And so they dispatched someone to go communicate that need to the Lord Jesus, saying, remember, you love him. But God says, I love him more than you realize. And so verse 4, we're told, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, 
but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. We already uh, covered that. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Sometimes the glory of God has to be seen a certain way. And sometimes it requires a delay to occur. Something to, for God to wait or postpone acting in a certain way. And usually in the way that we don't want him to. He waits. He has his purposes for that. But sometimes it's required so that he can be glorified a very specific way. Jesus is going to deal with Mary and Martha you know, he's going to deal with them in a certain way, but he need, we need to see that Jesus purposely waits two days, in other words, to, to meet their need and to, to minister to them and have them see him for who he really is. He purposely waits for two more days. This is how the glory of the Lord is going to be seen sometimes, and sometimes that's the only way it's going to be seen. And in, in this, he's revealing who he is in a way that they wouldn't really know otherwise. And, and that's true for our lives. When he waits and he delays, we're waiting upon him. We're renewing our strength in the Lord as we wait. And then we get to see him and learn a little bit more about who he is in a way that we couldn't have known before because the very reality is he waited. And so sometimes that occurs in our lives. But the, the, the challenge for us is, is that sometimes in the context of waiting, we, we sometimes can question God's love. And I don't believe it's by accident that verse 5 is sandwiched between verses 4 and 6. The Holy Spirit, on purpose, makes us see that just because he's delaying doesn't mean he doesn't love them and that his love necessitates him delaying for a very specific purpose. So Jesus says, I'm going to wait two more days. I'm going to delay for a purpose. And this made sense to the disciples, but for the wrong reasons. Look at verse 7. He says, then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you are going there again? <laughs> I'm sure they were only concerned about Jesus' safety. I'm sure that they were just looking out for him, that the, the thought of them encountering any kind of danger was totally foreign to their thinking and to their mind. I'm sure that that, that wasn't even on their radar screen, so to speak, was their own safety. But Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day, talking about the sun, uh, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after he had said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I, may go, I, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. <laughs> These guys are something else. You know, they're thinking that he's napping. You know, he's taking a nap. And so Jesus is so concerned that he's going to oversleep somehow that he's going to walk 20 miles, and that's how far away they are. He's going to walk 20 miles to make sure, which would take about a day if you went fast, that makes sure that he wakes up from his nap. I mean, come on. It's, it's, but, you know, we beat up on them, but we'd probably say something like that too. Just when there's silence in the room, sometimes we just feel like we just need to say something. And usually it's the wrong thing. And so we can relate to these disciples. Verse 13. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about uh, taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, okay? <laughs> I'm gonna t that's clarity right there. You know, let me, I don't want you to misunderstand at all. You're, he's not napping in. He's not, I mean, he is dead. That's what I call making something very 
clear. And he says, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there that you believe. So also what he's doing here, because obviously God does many things at once sometimes. He's having this be a whole ministry lesson for them. He says, for your sakes. It's for your sakes that I am not there, in addition of obviously the benefit of those that were uh, in Bethany there. But he says, nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go, let us also go, that we may die with him. Oh, that's exciting. That's perky attitude there. That's, um, you know, again, just not, not getting what, what, what God's doing, not thinking on the spiritual plane whatsoever. He's just kamikaze attitude there. And, and so, verse 17, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. So if you figure out the math here, it took this messenger a day to get to where Jesus was. Then Jesus waited two days. Then he decided to come, and it took a day to get there. So it's likely that Lazarus died right after that messenger left to go give the news to Jesus because he was already in the tomb for four days by the time the Lord Jesus got there. So right after they sent this person out to go talk to Jesus, Lazarus was sick, and they couldn't stop him. They couldn't go you know, call him up and text him or, you know, hey, turn around. You know, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't do that. So it was all in God's timing here of why uh, all of this happened the way that it did. So why is Jesus late here? Why is he late? Or is he late? Maybe that's a good question. Because Jesus didn't mismanage this. He didn't have bad time management and just made a mistake. And that's sometimes our perspective. When we're in a trial, we're thinking it's too late. Um, Jesus is too late. He could have made a difference, but he wasn't working in the way that I thought he should work. And so it's too late now. And so, again, we can struggle with, if God is all-loving, why did he wait? And I'm sure they may, could have been tempted to, to think that too. But again, the Holy Spirit, in verse 5, sandwiches that statement in between his plans about delaying to, so that we wouldn't struggle against God's love because he does love us. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Just like Martha to be busy, isn't it? Just to be proactive. I'm going to take off. She goes out to meet him. And this is really significant because especially in that culture, when you're in the time of mourning, you're really not even supposed to leave the house. You're supposed to stay put where you are until the time, official time of mourning is over. So it's kind of taboo for, us, for her to do that. So Mary just takes off. She wants to find out what's going on. She doesn't even want to wait for him to, the time it would take the Lord Jesus to, to walk two miles to Bethany there. She wants to go out and engage him right away. But Mary doesn't do that. Mary is sitting, and that's where we see her. Three times in, in Scripture, she's sitting. And, and most of the time, she's sitting at Jesus' feet. Now, here she's not sitting at Jesus' feet, but uh, she is sitting here. And um, Martha said to Jesus, verse 21, when she got to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So she's just being honest. She just comes to the Lord Jesus, and she shares her heart. She's open. She's transparent. She's just brutally honest with him at this moment. And so she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is what's called yesterday faith. It's a regretful faith. 
it's, it's, it's faith based on what God could have done after the fact. It's not disrespectful. Martha's not being disrespectful. She's not scolding the Lord Jesus here. She's disappointed for sure. Her heart is sunk to the deepest parts of where her heart could go related to her brother that just died. She knew that Jesus could have uh, healed him. Jesus wasn't there. And so she's expressing to him that he he has the ability to, to, to heal, but She's disappointed, and she's expressing that this could have, already, this could have happened if, if he were there, but it's not anything that she's being disrespectful about. And we've all been there, or if we haven't been there, we will be there, where something has happened, and it, and it appears that Jesus is too late, and we're expressing our heart to him in honesty, saying, Lord, if you would have just worked in this situation, I know you could have done it. I know you could have made a difference. I know that you could have changed this situation. You could have saved my job. You could have changed this bad situation uh, around, or, or you could have changed it from a, you know, happening in the first place. You could have kept those people from doing what they did. One of the hardest things to grapple with as a believer, or as anybody, really, is why God allows certain things to happen to certain people. And we can see someone else's life, and, and they could be going through the same circumstances that we're going through or we're struggling, and we're totally okay with the sovereignty of God. We're okay with, with how we believe God's committed to them. We're okay with how we believe he loves them. It doesn't shake us one bit. But when we go through the same identical thing, somehow it changes completely. And God knows that we're frail like that and, we're, and that we're weak. And so um, we have to deal with that question. Why did you allow this? Sometimes he reveals later the answer to that. Sometimes he doesn't. And it seems like most of the time he doesn't reveal it in terms of the specifics of why he allowed our situation to happen in the way that it did. We know from Scripture that he works all things together for good. We know that Romans 8.29 says he uses those things to conform us to the image of Christ, to produce Christ's likeness in our lives. We know that. But in terms of why he chose that specific set of circumstances to accomplish that, versus another set entirely, we don't know the answer to that. And, and maybe we won't know till heaven, and maybe we won't even know when we get to heaven. Sometimes people say, when I get to heaven, I'll say a thing or two to him, and I'll have something to say to him. I, if you look at the description of the Lord Jesus in the book of Revelation, when the apostle John sees the risen Christ and he falls at his face as though dead, he's not really chatty right there. <laughs> he's not going to show the Lord a thing or two. When you see him in his holiness, in his fullness, because you'll have a body, if you're a Christian, you'll have the, the, uh, the, a physical glorified body that will be able to handle his glory, uh, you, won't be, you won't be saying anything to him that will be calling him on the carpet or, or anything like that. But he, he is very gracious with us, and he still helps us in our time of need. Now notice Martha expresses her faith in verse 22. Uh, he, she still is expressing her faith in him. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now this is what's known as tomorrow faith. This is faith in what God can do in the future. So she already had yesterday faith in what God could have done if he were there. But now she has tomorrow faith in the sense that it's faith of what God can do in the future. And it's correct. It's true. It's biblical. It's theologically sound. I mean, first of all, resurrecting from the dead is Old Testament too. Daniel chapter 12 verse 2. It was definitely revealed that there would be a resurrection there. 
So she has this kind of fut- it's tomorrow faith, and, but that's great, and it's true, and it's applicable to Mary. It's applicable to Martha. It's applicable to Lazarus. It's, it's applicable to our lives. But what's different in this situation is that it was not what God had intended for that time for, for them at this moment, for this day. It wasn't what God had in mind for the situation. God wasn't supremely at that moment wanting her to focus on how faithful he was going to be in the future. She had faith for that. What she didn't have faith for is the extent to which God wanted to be faithful to her and show himself strong on her behalf that day. That's the difference. That, that's what God wanted to reveal to them on that day. Verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Here Martha is in her vulnerability in a context of extreme pain and loss and difficulty. And here Jesus asks her what she believes. I mean, doesn't he he know that she's mourning and he's challenging her on her faith in him and his word? And even in the deepest trials at times, God will ask us, do you believe me? Do you trust me? Do you believe my word? And it's not cruel for him to do that in the context of a trial and an incredible difficulty because he knows that believing in him for what we need from him at that moment is one of the greatest things that he could challenge us to do because that faith in him will help us through that very moment. And so he'll ask us to assess our faith in him at at an incredibly vulnerable moment. So he asked her the question. And I wonder how long the pause was. Do you believe this? How long of a time between the end of verse 26 and the verse 27 when she says to him the answer, when she thought about it? And, and we don't know, but she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is to come into the world. And I believe what Jesus is trying to accomplish related to his interaction and his engagement with Mary, or Martha rather, at this moment, is to get her to put her faith in the totality of who he is. Because he's much more than what she, uh, who he, uh, she thought he was. Way greater. And it's true for all of us. And what we need to realize in the context of a, of a crisis is that God's more than we think he is. That's what he's working towards in her life right now. To get her to think that I am more then you realize what you realize about me and what you believe about me is correct and it's great. I, I could have healed him if I were here. So your yesterday faith is valid. And, and I will raise people up on the last day. Your tomorrow faith, your future faith is valid as well. But I want to do something different today. And I want to reveal to you that I'm much more greater than you could possibly imagine. Their faith was significant. And they believed that Jesus could have healed their sick brother. But what they didn't believe is that Jesus could raise their dead brother. That's what they needed to see, that Jesus could do it. And especially after being dead four days. That's why he waited. He tried to make it so impossible. So because maybe they knew that God could do certain things, but he brought them past their their faith vanishing, uh, vanishing point, so to speak. And if they would have had faith to believe that he could have raised him from the dead after four days, Jesus probably would have waited five or six or seven or ten, however long it would take, to bring them past the, 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 the threshold of what they could believe about who he is and how great he is. And, and so I believe that he's working 
towards that. He's going to make sure that he did something harder than they thought possible so that they could see him greater than they thought he could possibly be. They had all what they needed, but they didn't have a full revelation of how great he is. Now, I want to hit the pause button for a moment, and I want to talk about John's gospel and work towards something that will help us see what Jesus is trying to accomplish here. The Gospel of John was written 30 years approximately after the last of the Synoptic Gospels. So probably that was Luke, the last one that was written. So this is 30 years after that. This is toward the end of John's life. And the purpose of his writing is revealed in in John chapter 20, where he said, I write these things that you believe on the name of the Son of God, believe that he is the promised Messiah, the Christ. And, and by uh, believing in him, you'll have life in his name. So he gives the reason why he wrote it. 90% of the Gospel of John is unique to the Gospel of John. It's not by accident. He included all that he included. And he recorded specific signs, specific miracles that Jesus performed. People argue about how many they are. I don't care about that. There was six, seven, eight, whatever, however many you want to say. But they were signs that revealed that he was the Messiah. But also, in addition to that, we also see that there are seven I am statements in the, the Gospel of John. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 58, uh, that uh, before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stone to stone him for blasphemy. He was claiming to be the same God that spoke to Moses from the burning bush. And he said, who should I say is sending me? Say that, that I am that I am has sent you. So he's saying these statements in the Gospel of John, and some of those I am statements are coupled with these signs, these miracles that, that Jesus uh, performed. And so when he fed the 5,000, that was one of the signs that Jesus is the Messiah. But then right after that, he said, uh, I am the bread which comes down from heaven. Later, when he heals the man born blind, he, does, he heals him, and then he says an I am statement. He says, I am the light of the world. And he talks about whoever believes in me won't be spiritually blind. And so our text is one of those kind of combinations. It's one of the signs, raising Lazarus from the dead. But in this instance, he actually says the I am statement before the miracle. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And so all these things were designed to point to him, to reveal who he is. And because he is who he is, whatever we have need of at any given moment in time, he is our source. He reassured his people of of this all through the Old Testament as well. You remember all the different names of God. He revealed all these things in different ways. He communicated that he was all that they needed at any given moment. He said, I am the Lord your shepherd. He said, I am the Lord your righteousness. I am the Lord who is present. I am the Lord who sees. I am the Lord who hears. I am the Lord who heals you. I am the Lord who provides for you. I am all that you need. You can have faith uh, for what you can have faith for what I can do, because I can do everything that you need me to do. That's yesterday's faith. But I can also uh, provide for all that you're going to need in the future. That's true. But also, and this is what we forget sometimes, because we're thinking about the future or we're thinking about the past. We think a lot about yesterday, don't we? think a lot about the past all the time. We think a lot about the future. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. God is always trying to get us to get in today. He's trying to keep us in the confines of today because today needs all my focus. I need to focus on him today. I need to focus on what he wants to do 
through my life and in my life today and how he's provided for me today. It's even in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread as we pray that daily. So he says, I want to be all that you need every single day. Mary and Martha were, were thinking about the, what he could have done and what he will do in the future. They weren't thinking about today. And so Jesus isn't the resurrection and the life because he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead because he's the resurrection and the life. That's true. We celebrate the resurrection today, but not because of an event that we're thinking of supremely. It's because of who he is. He hadn't raised from the dead yet, and he says he's the resurrection and the life right then. He's already raising people from the dead, even before he raised himself from the dead. The, resur- the, the resurrection of Christ lets us know who he already was before the resurrection happened. That's what we need to see, and that's what Martha and Mary needed to see. They needed to see that I am everything that you need today. What is God wanting to do in our lives today? Not just thinking so much about the future and, and, and all of those things. That's great, and he's going to be faithful to us in the future. But uh, God wants us to, to trust him for a supernatural uh, provision and life today because he can do all those things, meet all of our needs every single moment. The, re- the reality of the resurrection is true for us every single day, and his life is available, and his promises are true every single day, and he ministers to us every single day and does miracles through our lives. He wants to anyway, all the time. Verse 28. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. There's yesterday's faith again. If you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. But notice Jesus' heart in verses 33 and 30 through 35. He says, Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. When Jesus saw them weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Troubled. How could Jesus be troubled? He knew what he was going to do. He's troubled and he wept. Now, verse 35, Jesus wept is the shortest verse in in the English Bible. There's other ones in the other languages that are shorter. But There's so much wrapped up in this verse. This is actually one of the biggest verses in the New Testament because of the context. Because Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew that it was all going to be fine. But he empathized with their pain and he hurt for them. And he wept with those who wept. And so he sees our pain. Even though he knows how he's going to work in our lives, even though he knows how he's going to provide, how he's going to come through, what he's going to uh, do and how he's going to do it, he knows it all. He knew it before we were born. He knew it before the foundation of the world. His heart still hurts when we hurt. And we need to see this. 
could have, Jesus could have controlled himself and, and not done this. I'm sure he could have. But he didn't. He just let it go. He just let everything go. And he revealed it in his word for us to know that he cares. He did it in verse 5 to let us know he loved uh, Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And he's doing it again in verses 33 and 35. That he deeply, deeply cared. So even when we don't have the right faith, we don't have faith for today, and God is working to get us to have faith in him for today, he's still compassionate. He's still gracious. He's still loving. He's still patient with us in all of that weakness. He still empathizes with what, what we're going through, even though he knows how he's going to handle it. And that brings us tremendous comfort uh, from him. And he loves to do it. And we should have that same heart with other people. We should weep with those who weep. We're told that. Even if we know God's going to be faithful. Sometimes we want to say, God's going to be faithful. God's going to answer prayer. God's going to stay true to his word. All those are true. And, and as if we can somehow, uh, you know, sidestep the need to still weep with those who weep. It doesn't matter. They know that too. But they're still hurting. They're still needing comfort. They're still wanting help and prayer and support. And, and, and someone to care and put their arm around them. That's what he's called each of us to do. Then the Jews said, verse 36, See how we loved him? And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? More yesterday faith. <laughs> then Jesus again, groaning in himself. Groaning in himself. Why? For himself? No, for others. Groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him, who raised, uh, of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Now the, the King James really gets specific. Lord, he stinketh. <laughs> so kind of sanit it's been kind of sanitized a little bit. Um, but she's, she's concerned for him. During this, I mean, he has a whole plan of what he's going to do. And she's concerned about him. She's, again, this is, she's living in, she's not living with today faith. She's, she, she's saying, already had said to him, God will give you whatever you ask. He is God. She's standing with God in human flesh at that moment who created everything out of nothing. And she's concerned about his being offended by the smell instead of thinking about what he has planned to do, as if he didn't know what he'd be encountering when he enter, goes into you know, a tomb or goes before a tomb that someone's been dead for four days. She didn't have that today faith. But Jesus asked her to do something. Sometimes he asks us to take a step of, of today faith. He tells us to do something. He tells her, or not her, but the others, to take, um, remove the stone. Now that was a test. It could be overlooked. That was a test. They could have refused in unbelief. I'm not going to do that. That's a waste of time. Why would you want to do that? You're going to smell all that, and we're going to smell it, and you're not going to, nothing's going to happen. What, what, you want to verify that he's dead? They could have refused in unbelief, but they didn't. They moved the stone. Sometimes God asks us to participate in something related to how he's going to do a miracle, and it's nothing new. It's, he's been doing it all along. You remember what he told Moses to lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea. Many of you watched the Ten Commandments yesterday. It's on, usually always before today. 
And he asked him to do that. Then later with Joshua, he told the, Joshua to tell the priests to step into the Jordan. They actually had to get in to the, to, to, to the Jordan there for it to, to, to part there. And so the feeding of the 5,000, he told them to bring the loaves to me. It was required. He could have done it from, from nothing. We know that. But he wants to include us. He, need, he wants us to be a part of what he's doing, for one. And number two, he wants to stretch our faith in taking that step. He told the withered man, stretch out your hand. The withered man, the, 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 withered man, the, the man with the withered hand could have said, no, I, I'm, I'm crippled. Can't you see? I can't do that. That's why, I'm, that's why you're here, you know. No, do it. And he did it in faith, and it opened up. He told the man that was blind, he said, what do you want me to do for you? Like, who doesn't know that this man wants to be you can imagine the disciples standing there, does he really not know what, what, what this man would want? But it, it took a step of faith for that man to say what he wants. I want my sight. Because just asking the question, sometimes we're so overwhelmed with what we're dealing with, we can't even articulate and verbalize the request. And it's a step of faith to do that. And God says, do it. Do whatever I tell you to do, and I will show myself strong on your behalf. It's all through the scriptures. You can go through the whole Bible. He asks us sometimes to be a part of the, this, this, this step of faith, this miracle, and it's all for what he wants to do today. He usually doesn't ask us to take, to do some action for something he's going to do in the future or something he wish he could have done in the past. It's for today. It's today faith that he asks us to do those things. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. Now, he could have said today, and added today in that, in that question. Would you, um, you know, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God today? That's what he's thinking. She hasn't been thinking that all this time. But he's thinking the glory of God today. God wants to, us to see his glory today on any given day. Because wherever we go, we bring the kingdom of God with us as Christians. And so he wants us to say what he says and to do what he does and to empower us to be the kingdom of God in this world, to bring the words of everlasting life to people so that they can be born again, to lay hands on the sick, to cast out demons, to all the things that, that believers in his authority can do as they're led by the Holy Spirit. And so that's bringing the kingdom of God wherever we go for today. And if we're thinking about yesterday or the future, we're going to miss seeing the glory of God at any given moment. And that's what we see in the book of Acts, all through the book of Acts. They were seeing the glory of God that day, whatever day that they were serving him and following him and trusting him. He was doing things in their midst that day. God doesn't have layaway for the glory of God. You know, I just sow into this thing and then someday I'm going to see the glory of God and it can't happen at any given moment. It happens at any given moment. Verse 41, then he took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And as it's been said, he had to say Lazarus's name because others would have came forth. <laughs> that were dead. He had to be specific there. But all this is done to, to verify who he is. It's all pointing to him. He's the goal. Right now, today, we're not 
We're not looking at the resurrection and trusting in an event to the neglect of trusting in the person. Again, that he resurrected because he is the resurrection and the life, not the other way around. And here's the, the answer. And he who had died came out uh, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. I wonder what Lazarus thought. How glad do you think Lazarus was? He was in Abraham's bosom as you know, paradise. He was with all the Old Testament saints. He was there for four days. And then he comes back to a tomb, to this world. And this whole picture, he could have been the one that was the most upset about the whole thing. Are you kidding me? Really? Oh, and then, of course, refocusing himself potentially. Okay, this is a great opportunity for ministry. I got a lot to tell people. <laughs> Glad to see my sisters. I mean, probably had to concentrate to have a good attitude. If you were brought back into this world. But that was a miracle that was undeniable. And it pointed to who Jesus is. So God wants us to live in today. And so some of us are dealing with different things. Now, he may choose to, to not answer the prayer or do the thing that we think that he has to do. He knows what's best. But what I'm trying to get at this morning is that we can't assume that he's not going to answer that prayer. We can't assume that he's not going to do a miracle. Sometimes we, we forget that he's the God of miracles. And we're surprised when he actually does something that's, a, a, you know, a miracle. But he does. He's, he loves to do it. And, and so the super, the, I wanna, I'm, the whole point of all of this is that the fact that he is the resurrection and the life and the fact that because he is that, he is that, that's why he rose from the dead. But he didn't do that just so that we can live our lives in the context of what he could have done and what he will do, biblically correct, theologically correct and everything, but what he wants to do today. On any given day, what is he expecting me to do? Who is he wanting me to talk to? Who is he wanting me to serve? How is he wanting to work in my life? What miracle is he wanting to do through my life? What divine appointment is he setting up for me? And again, we're so self-consumed all the time, but he's trying to get our attention off ourselves and onto him and onto others. That's why we're a body. We're one body. So our lives are intended to be marked by the supernatural, by a risen Savior working in our lives on that day for what he wants to do through our lives for that day. Trusting him for the future, yes. But on that day, what does he want to do? The resurrection secures that. The resurrection proves that because he is the resurrection and the life. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, that you are who you are. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to trust you for what you want to do in our lives each day and to not put limitations on what you can do on any given day, Lord, in our lives. So we trust you. We commit it to you. We celebrate this day. It means so much to us, so much more than we could even share with one another today. So we, we thank you, Jesus, that you have revealed who you are it's so uh, dynamically and proficiently, and you are everything that we need. And we recognize that. And we as a body and as a family, we recognize that together in unity, corporately, that you are everything that we need, and you're more than what we need, and you're more than we could ever ask or think. 
And so we honor you today. We thank you. We worship you today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Now, as we continue in an attitude of prayer, I want to give anyone here that hasn't received Christ an opportunity to do that. If you're here today and you've never been born again, you may believe in God. You may uh, have a religious background. You may have gone to church, but you have never had a change in your life where you have seen that he has changed you from the inside out because you have never placed your trust in the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection to pay your way to heaven, and, and you haven't received it as a gift. So if you haven't seen a change in your life at some point in time, if you've received Christ as, or believe that you've received Christ as an adult, but you never changed, God doesn't come into a life and doesn't change a life. And so I want to give you an opportunity to have your sins forgiven based on his authority in his word that says that he will forgive you of your sins. It's a free gift. So someone may have invited you here, and that's great. And we're not trying to get you to be part of our church. But if you're not right with God today, God wants to use today for you to get right with him. So if you, have, you may believe in God, you may have been religious, but you have never been born again. You've never had a spiritual birth. You've never made a U-turn on the, in, on the road of life and turned to God and received his salvation as a free gift, thus having your life changed. If that's you today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that and pray a prayer with me by just raising your hand right now. Is there anyone here? I just want to give you an opportunity to do that. You've never done that before. You've never received Christ I just want to make sure, and every time we come together, I want to give people an opportunity to do that, and this is no exception to that. You don't want, everyone usually thinks they're okay with God, and um, you have to look and make sure that your life lines up with what the Bible says a Christian is. So if there's anyone here that has not had a, a spiritual birth, and you've never trusted in Christ alone to pay your way to heaven, I want you to raise your hand right now if you want to receive him. Is anybody here? I'm not going to beg. I'm not going to try to talk you into it. I'm not going to use manipulation. If that's you here today, I'm simply giving you the invitation. Go ahead and raise your hand where I can see it. Is there anyone here? Anyone at all? Okay. I'm giving you an opportunity. Let's stand together.